0: It's all good. We are still in our section of Jesus as example. And taking a cue from that old song, He the great example is and pattern for me. And Jesus came, yes, to seek and to save that which was lost, to give his life a ransom for many, but also to reveal to us the heart of the Father through the way that he lived give us an example as Peter, who lived with him for three and a half years, as Peter will tell us in his epistle, that we should follow in his steps. And so we've been looking the last few weeks of Jesus as example. And tonight we are going to look at what would Jesus do with someone who is very different from him. We have all had this experience. We tend to, to congregate with those who are much like us. As we look around our group tonight, we have similar backgrounds, similar period appearance, similar thoughts, so similar beliefs, and that helps us to be able to enjoy each other rather quickly. When I met Brother and Sister. There at Central Assembly, we sat and we knew some of the same people, the same places. We had instant connection and we felt a friendship immediately. There's other times we meet people who are very different from we are. How do we connect with them in a way that would be obedient to the command of a Christian to love our neighbor as ourselves? <laughs> and by the way, that's where we'll go next week is how Jesus dealt with difficult questions. So we're really going to dig in to that parable of the Good Samaritan next week. But tonight we're going to take a look at one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Just because this is a, a plucky little person that we meet in this passage that I believe when we get to heaven she will be there. And I look forward to spending quite a bit of time sitting down to hear the whole part of her story. What ha- How did she get to where she was in John 4? And what happened afterward? I would really like to hear that story. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. So if you are ready, let's dig into the scripture. We'll have a little bit of fun. So let's talk, start off by taking a look here at where we're, we're going to be. As we have Jesus meeting a woman of Samaria. And you can't find anybody that was more different from Jesus than the person that he encounters in this passage. And I appreciate that that it was arranged in the plan of God that he was able to have a one-on-one encounter with this person. There are very few one-on-one encounters of Jesus with an individual in the scriptures. The vast majority of the time, even when he's talking to an individual, there is a crowd around or at least the disciples. In this instance, it is a one-on-one conversation. So let's just jump right into the scripture. As usual, we're reading from the NASB. Not that it's better than any other ones, it's just the one that I like. So that's the one I teach from. And it starts off, therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard in your life when you know that someone else has heard something about you? Yeah, you probably have. And Jesus is in this position as well. He knows that they have heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Now when John was baptizing and making disciples, they sent a delegation from Jerusalem out to question him. Remember? John chapter 1. We see that story. And now these people who sent the delegation have heard that Jesus is doing the same thing, and not just the same thing, but doing it in a greater quantity. And so it's interesting here that John puts in a little parenthetical. Although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. And I think we just see a little bit of humanity of the writer here, John, in this moment. Because Jesus knows that some people who could make life difficult for him have heard something about him, and what they have heard is not exactly true. Now, have you been in that situation where you know someone has heard something about you and what they've heard is not the full story? Right. What do you do in those moments? Mm. Well, that's when you need to know and be connected to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because there were times in Jesus' ministry when these kinds of situations came about and he confronted it directly. And there are other times when he does exactly what he does here, he left. You know, there are some times when it's not worth engaging the quarrel. It's not worth going in and moving forward. He'll address it at the right time, but this is something we need to remember from Jesus as example. Not every difficulty or gossip or rumor needs your full attention. Sometimes it's best to just move. So he left Judea and went away again into Galilee. So he's down in the south. Let's pull our map up. He's down here in the south when he he knows what's going on, so he's going to leave and go back. To Galilee. Now, the the next verse says that he has to go through Samaria. But if you just want a straight shot, you get on 13, you go north, and go through Bolivar. Now, there's good reason to go through Samaria, because that's where the main road is. The Romans are famous for building good roads for travel, and they have built a very good road. Archaeological evidence is everywhere for this, as well as as docu- document evidence that there is a road that's been Right through here and on up in the Tyre and Sidon and then all the way up here. Major road. However, some Jews, not all, but some were in the habit of taking the back roads. The kind of folks who if they wanted to get to Clinton, they would avoid 13 and they'd get on a dirt road somewhere and just go off of the way. And so there were some who would leave and then just come over here. Cross over here is Perea and they'd come across here and then cross so they'd cross the Jordan here, cross the Jordan again here and then come over. Why would anybody in their right mind take the back roads when there is a perfectly good highway? They They didn't want to go to Samaria. Now my dad was in the habit of taking the back roads. If there was a dirt road He would take it, regardless of whether or not there was a perfectly good highway. He just enjoyed the dirt road. And I admit that I am the same way. Sean often complains when I come home from a trip that the car is very dirty when it didn't need to get dirty, but there was a dirt road, and I wanted to know where it went. And so I have that habit. But that's not what was happening here. Bob is correct. There were many who didn't want to go through Samaria, now, why would you not want to go through a certain area when there's a perfectly good road? They were different. They were hated. The people. Here's the thing: and, and when you see something, whether you're reading in scripture or you're talking to someone, when people do something that doesn't make good logical sense, there's usually a backstory to that. And that is the case in this instance. Now, we don't always know the backstory why people behave the way they do, but in this instance, we do know the backstory. We get it from both the Old Testament and from the intertestamental period in some of the writings that we have there. Second Kings 17 is gonna fill us in on the backstory. Now you remember that we've got two kingdoms here after the death of, of Solomon's son we get, or excuse me, after the death of Solomon, we get two kingdoms, the southern and the northern. And then the northern kingdom was conquered by Assyria before the southern kingdom was taken by Babylon. We've discussed this earlier in in this series, so we all know that background. Now, when Assyria took people captive, they had a very good political strategy for keeping things settled down in the areas that they took captive. So what they would do is that they would come in and when they took your area they would remove the people who were, were strong were going to be able to maybe rise up an army, a rebellion uh, the women who were a good childbearing age, they would take those people uproot them from their homeland and then spread them out in other conquered areas and then they would replace those people with people from their other conquered areas so you end up in the land that would have been ancient Israel you're going to end up with people from all over the ancient near east all living there together now it's going to be hard for them to raise up a rebellion against Assyria because they don't speak the same language they don't have the same cultures they they're not going to join together as easily now the problem in this particular territory for Assyria 2 Kings tells us this that when the Assyrian king had placed all of these people in the northern kingdom, that there was an issue. It says in 2 Kings that it was reported back to the king that lions were eating the people. And this was a problem because people who have been eaten by lions don't pay taxes. Yeah. <laughs> and so we want to see what's happening with all of these people in the northern kingdom. So he, he, he does an inquiry and he discusses this, they come back to him and say, the god of this land is a very jealous god, and all of these other people who have been brought into this land are worshiping their gods in their way, Chimash and and all of these other gods from the other areas, and they're worshiping those gods in his land, and he doesn't like it, so here's what he decided to do religious leader, a teacher, a priest from that God, send him down there and have him teach the people how to worship that God. And so they get a Jewish priest who comes down there and he begins to teach the people about Yahweh. Now you've got people from all over the place who are now hearing about Yahweh. And they did what often happens and what made sense in that world. You, uh, you don't necessarily get rid of your old God, but you add the new God to your list of gods you worship. That makes sense? Mm-hmm. And so that's what happened. They continued to worship Baal and Shemash and Molech and all of these gods. They just added Yahweh worship to that list. And so this is how things were going in, in this area of, of Samaria until we get to when the people in the southern kingdom, right here, when they come back from captivity, that we read this about this in Ezra and Nehemiah, we're tracking, we're following, when they come back and they decide to rebuild the temple at Jerusalem, and they start this project, well, the people who live up here uh, consider themselves as also worshippers of Yahweh. And so when they hear the temple is being rebuilt in Jerusalem, they send a delegation down and say, we would like to help. Now, the folks in the southern kingdom who are rebuilding the temple learned their lesson in captivity. They believed that they had been taken into captivity because they had not been faithful to Jehovah but had turned to other gods. Jehovah, but also including all these other gods. The people in the south said, no way. You're not coming down here with all those other gods. We'll just get into more trouble. We are worshiping only Jehovah. You all can just go right straight back home. So the people then who were living up here have been rejected and sent home packing by these people who are building their temple. Now, what is human nature at this point? (laughs) Human nature is to say, oh, yeah, you're going to build your temple? Well, guess what? We can build a temple, too, which is exactly what they did. And so there's a mountain right up here called Mount Gerizim. And on Mount Gerizim, these people who came to be known as the Samaritans because they are living in the area of Samaria, which was the capital of, of ancient Israel, these people built their own rival temple on Mount Gerizim. Now in this rival temple, they worshiped Jehovah, yes, but they also worshiped Molech, Chemosh, Baal, all of the gods of their history. And so what we have happening on this mountain at Gerizim is worship being directed toward Jehovah. Combined with child sacrifice, combined with the the use of women in ritual and sexual worship, all combined here and done in the name of Yahweh. So during the time of the Maccabees, when they're ruling in Israel, they went up and destroyed the temple on Mount Gerizim. They said, this is an abomination. It cannot stand they destroyed the Samaritan temple. How do you think the Samaritan people who had built that temple responded to that? Not so well. So we've got issues here. Whenever there's issues between people, there's always a history. So the people in the south feel like that the people up here are not anything remotely Jewish. They are traitors, they are half-breeds, they are bringing in the, the, um, the curse into the land. And we shouldn't have anything to do with them. And the people in the north look at the people in the south as you just think you're better than all of us. Right. So you think there might be issues? Yes. So it is true that there were many Jews who would avoid the good high It is possible that the disciples, good Jews that they were, had never set foot in Samaria until this point when it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, the having to go through Samaria is not just a geographical reality, like having to go to Bolivar to get to Clinton. It was also a need to go through Samaria because he had checked the Father's day planner (laughs) and he noticed that at noon he had an appointment set up with a woman and he needed to be there for that appointment that had been planned, I believe, from the dawn of time before the foundation God has had a plan for mankind, Mm -hmm. and I think that these these divine appointments are not accidents, but they are something that has been written on the Father's Day planner Mm -hmm. from time immemorial. So it says, he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar. Now this is, is within sight of Mount Gerizim, where the temple was near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. So we have to remember that some of these sites that are in this area that is considered um, verboten to some Jewish people still has holy sites within it. Now let's just look at this for a minute. If this is the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to Joseph, What might this tell us about this parcel of ground? Joseph was the preferred son, right? So I would imagine that as Jacob is plotting out the inheritance of the land, Rachel's firstborn is going to get a nice plot. So here's the place that Jacob has given to Joseph and Jacob's wealth was there. Maybe this is why Joseph got it. Maybe because this was a place that had one of the best sources of water. It had dug down deep and it'll tell us that the, that the well is deep because there was not, there is not a lot of water in this area. Jacob had to dig down deep. He found the water, put a well there and then said, this is a good parcel of land with a good well. I'm going to give it to Joseph. So this An important sight to a good son of Jacob. So Jesus being wearied from his journey. Now, I wonder if he was weary because it was a long walk. Or maybe he was weary from all of the talk of the disciples along the journey. (laughs) Now, is it possible that somebody said, you know, I've never been here. My mother told me. never to step foot in here. I don't know why we'd be going this way. I wonder sometimes if the Lord ever got a little weary with some of the road talk. Mm. Some of us who have traveled with others have known what it is to get weary of some of the talk in in the car, in the vehicle especially if you've had children um, or somebody that you've traveled with who, who just goes on and on about something. Whatever it is we know that Jesus is weary his journey and there's another thing we know we don't hear it here but we're going to find it out in just a little bit that he is going to send the disciples away away i'm tired and i want you all to be somewhere else did he want them to be somewhere else because he was tired of, of some of the conversation or did he want them to be somewhere else because the appointment that he had scheduled for noon needed to be one where the disciples were not present. Whatever the reason was, we know that he has said to the disciples, go into the city, Sychar, so he's outside of the city limits, go into the city to buy meat, food, something to eat. So he is now, in his tiredness, going to sit down by the well alone to rest. It was about The sixth hour. Now, this is important, and John puts it in here for a reason. By the reckoning of time that John uses in his gospel, the sixth (coughs) hour will be six hours from six in the morning. And so we have the sixth hour. If it's six hours from 6 a.m., the beginning of day, what time is it? Noon. Noon. Now, let's ask a very real question. As, as we look at this, we know that we are in a, uh, a place that is typically hot. It is noon. We're outside of the city, and so we've got a bit of a walk to get out here to the well. Now, the, the job of gathering water, which usually had to be done at least twice a day, that fell typically to the women. Now, the men didn't go out to gather water. We see this even in the Old Testament. We see women coming to draw water. Now, women, when they went, usually in the morning and in the evening, they went as a group for several reasons. Number one, there's more protection when you're in a group. If you've got, um, you know, somebody outside that might hurt you, you want to be around other people, so for protection, but there's other reasons that. You know, women will always say, there's always a line in the bathroom. That's because we take the line with us. We all go, <laughs> in it's a movement. I've never seen a group of men do that. If one man stands up and says, I'm going to the men's room, the others don't all get up and join him. So there's also the idea of fellowship, time away from the men, away from that this is time to catch up on the gossip of the town, what's going on, before we have to get back and get on about our daily tasks. So it's about noon, and an interesting thing happens. There comes a woman of Samaria to draw water. Now, from the background that we know, why is this an unusual thing? Well, she's by herself. It's not the usual time. So we've got two things that already alert us to something may not be normal with this situation. She's not coming with a group of women, and she is coming at one of the hottest times of the day. So this can't be done because she says, oh, you know what? I would really just rather wait until it's hot. I just love to sweat and work hard and carry all this water back at the heat of the day. That's not likely what's going on. She is most likely, and we know this because we know human nature. We have all been and observed or perhaps experienced what it is to want to do things outside of the group. Have we not? We know what it is. I I remember when I was in school, one of the most difficult times of the day in school was when you would go through the line at lunch and you had your tray and you would come out to try to find a seat. And if your friends didn't happen to be there that day or something going, and you've got to try to find a seat to sit down, sometimes it's so much easier, oh, I'd rather I was anywhere else than having to go and find a place to sit when I I don't feel like a part of the group. This woman, whether by her own choice of choosing not to go with the other women or because she had been told she was not welcome with the other women. We really don't know, but we know that this is not normal behavior. So there is something about this woman that has isolated her from the female community that is going to be typical for her at this time and this place. So she comes out, she has all of her utensils to get the water, is hot, she has to walk to the well, and then she's thinking about all the other things that have to be done after she gets back to the house, and so she gets out there, and as she is walking, she notices something that is unusual, because as she is walking, she is used to being able to get to the well, do her chores without the botheration of anybody else, and she can get the water and she can go. But as she's going, she sees, oh, great, there's somebody there. And as she gets a little closer, she notices some things about the somebody at the well. The first thing she notices is that he is a man. (laughs) Now, this woman, we will find out, knows men. She has known several men, and her background and her experience with men has not made her feel exactly safe or friendly with most men. Now, as she gets a little closer and she sees not only is he a man, but he is dressed as a Jewish man. Oh, this is even better. Not just a man, but a Jewish man who feels like he is above me and will look down on me, not just because I am a female, but I am a Samaritan. And then as she gets a little closer, she notices not only is he dressed as a Jew, but he is wearing the tail tale robe and signs of a rabbi, a teacher, a holy man. And she is female, Samaritan, and not known as a holy woman. So I imagine when she sees him sitting on the well, she is already making a plan of escape in her mind. Have you ever been there? She's making a plan of escape. I'll get in. I will get the water. I won't make eye contact. We'll just get this done and get out of there. But the last thing she expected happened because he is going to break the rules of convention jesus said to her now just that alone is breaking the rules of convention men did not speak to women who were not their wives in public. Certainly rabbis did not do this. And certainly a Jew, put the woman aside, a Jew would not speak to a Samaritan. And what he says to her is absolutely amazing. Because he says to her, give me a drink. And you can Of a Samaritan. And when this Jewish man asks this Samaritan woman for a drink, and she notices he has no cup, he is going to have to, what he's asking her to do is take her utensil, dip it into the water, and then let him. saying, I have everything I need, and I have in a well is stagnant and still. We all know that, right? So he said, I could have given you living water, water from a stream that's moving. And she said to him, sir, there's some problems with your statement here. First off, you have nothing to draw with. So that's why you had to ask me to use my cup. You have nothing to draw with. And this well is In other words, Jacob himself, who had connection with God, when he was in this area and he wanted water, he had to dig way down to find it. There is no living water around here. If you could just look around, please, if there was a stream, don't you think Jacob would have found it? There would be no need for a well. The well is deep. You have to dig down to find this water. Where then do you think you're going to get this because if there's a choice between the stagnant water of a well and the fresh flowing water of a stream, which one are you going to choose? The fresh. Absolutely. And so if there was fresh water available in the area, there would be no need for a deep well. Makes sense? Yep. Sure it does. And so she's just logically responding to this Jewish man sitting on the well. Where are you going to get this? than our father Jacob, are you? In other words, she's saying, oh, I don't think you know something that Jacob didn't know. This is Jacob's well, and if he didn't know, I don't think you know either. You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us this well. He drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. If there was living water around here, he wouldn't have drank of it, his sons wouldn't have been, and he wouldn't have been feeding his cattle with all the work of digging it out. You are a crazy man. And Jesus answered and said to her, Ignoring a few things here, by the way, because the average Jewish person, particularly rabbi, when they heard a Samaritan say this little term, our father Jacob, that would have stopped the conversation. Mm. Because... Then any good Jew would have heard that and said, uh-uh, this conversation is over because our father is Jacob. We don't know who your father is. You all are from all over the place, half-breeds, mixed-up people. How dare you claim Jacob as your father? But Jesus lets that slide. It's not important for his purpose answers and says to her this brilliantly deep revelation. Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. Now do you think she didn't know that? Mm -hmm. Of course she knew that. That's why she has to come every day. Because she drinks from the water. She comes, she gets the water. She takes it home, she drinks. And then, guess what, in a couple hours, she's thirsty again, right? And she has to come back and get more. Jesus is not saying anything amazing here. He's simply saying, you've been drinking from this water, and it's not quenching your thirst. Everyone who drinks of this water this this stagnant water that's been sitting here all of these years and that you've been coming to day after day after day, year after year, decade after decade, it is not quenching your thirst. You're still thirsty, aren't you? Is what he's saying to this woman. He says, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give you, Shall never thirst. So what he's saying to this woman, catch this, how he is just taking right exactly where she is, even though she is so different from him. He knows where she is, and he is painting her a picture. He has already said to her, I can give you living water, fresh water, water that is flowing. And not only is it water that's flowing, but it's water that if you drink it, It will quench your thirst, and you will not have to keep going to the well that you've been going to all of these years. Now, you give a promise like that, and the next answer is going to be, because he goes on, he says, not only will you never thirst, but the water that I will give will become in him a well. A well of water springing up to eternal life. In other words, what he's saying to her is there is a a, a source of water that can be within you, a source of satisfaction to the thirst of all of your life, all of the longings. There is a source of satisfaction to that that you could have within you and not need to go to sources outside fill. See, this woman her entire life had known the same longings that every human person has known. And she has tried to satisfy those longings with things outside of her. In her situation, it seems to be, and perfectly reasonable for her time, that she had in her mind if she could just get the right man, it would fulfill her desires. And we are surrounded by people. We are people who continually through our lives look for something to quench the thirst. For some, they look for it in a bottle. For some, they they look for it in work, in money, in success. Some look for it in fame. Some look for it in other people. But there is an empty spot within the heart of every that is sitting next to a well, weary with the journey of life and parched and feeling like the answer must be so close, but I have no way to get to it. And he says to her, if you just knew the gift of God, that the answer is there. And if you knew who I am, you would find that I could give you the source of satisfaction that would be within you constantly won't be thirsty anymore. And if you do get thirsty, you'll know right where the source of the water is. She hears this, and unlike the Pharisees, who somehow just don't seem to get what Jesus is saying, she immediately responds with, sir, give it to me now. Give me this water. So I will not be thirsty, nor have come all the way out here to draw. In other words, where is it? What is it? Can you give it to me? Because what you are describing is exactly what I have been longing for, and I didn't even realize it in these terms. And then Jesus, who has not read Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence (laughs) People, says something. of what we are told in evangelism training. Because in evangelism training, we are told to bring people to this point where they, they realize their need and they say, give it to me. I am ready. Sign me up on the dotted line. But what he does here seems on the surface so out of line because what he does next is he says to her okay go call your husband and come back why would he say that because before this woman the satisfaction, the longing is there, the realization of the emptiness within her is there, but there is a barrier between her and that satisfaction, because the satisfaction is found in a holy God. That's the Holy Spirit. John chapter 7, Jesus describes this well springing up into everlasting life as the Holy Spirit. But there is a barrier between her and the reception of that, and that barrier is sin. And here is an issue that we have in evangelism. We want to bring people to the realization of a need for God because of the emptiness in their life. But we often leave out the concept of repentance from sin. And we will not be fully receptive and able to to have all of the blessings of God, really any of the full blessings of God, until the sin question, the barrier between us and God, is dealt with. And so rather than just saying to her, sure, here it is, he's going to deal with this issue. Go call your husband and come here. He's going to put his finger on the greatest pain of her life. She answered and said, I have no husband. Which most people would have said, oh, OK, well, then let's move <laughs> on. But Jesus, being Jesus, says, you have correctly said, I have no husband. For th- The truth is, you've had five husbands. The one whom you now have is not your husband. This You have said truly. A couple things we need to see here. One is that Jesus does not seem to connect cohabitation with marriage. Mm -hmm. She is living with a man, but he is not her husband. Now, one thing we need to understand about this woman, because we tend to hear this and think that this woman is is a, a loose woman, but the reality for her situation is that if she's had five husbands, She has five times walked down the aisle, promised, made vows, heard promises, and she has no right of divorce. So if she has been divorced five times, she is the one who has been rejected. She is not the one who has just moved on from a husband. Or could it be that the husbands have all died? She looked at in town as a black widow. What we know is that this woman has been through enough that she has now given up on the concept of having a husband who will meet her needs. And now she is just going to be available to whomever will take care of me today. The reality probably is that she was barren. And being barren, the husbands were under not just uh, permission to divorce, but in some cases requirement to divorce because they're required to replenish. And now she has just simply given up and whoever will provide for my needs, I'll provide for theirs. There are people like this all around us who have given up on the gift of God. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. How did he know this? He's not from there. He was from there. She, she knew and he wasn't one of them. I perceive that you are a prophet. And then she she changes the conversation. And sometimes we we uh, some commentators look at this as saying, well, now that he's putting the finger on her problem, she's going to switch the conversation to take it off. And, and that could be true. But also, I think that this is a woman who is very spiritually in tune. We see this from her conversations. And here she is. And there is a question that has. I have a prophet, so I'm going to ask him this question. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, Mount Gerizim. You people, Jews, you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Who's right? Who's right? If we're talking about all of this stuff and we're hinting at this, I need to know. Am I barred from the presence of God? because of my background. Mm -hmm. And Jesus (laughs) says to her, woman, this is where we need a whole hour on just this (laughs) passage, and we don't get it, so make sure I keep moving. Woman, believe me, an hour is coming, is coming, a time, when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. He is referring to a time coming, 70 A.D., When not only is the temple in Gerizim going to have been destroyed, but the temple in Jerusalem will be removed. And both kinds of worship will be done away with. And he says to her, you worship what you do not know. All of that stuff that has been going on on Mount Gerizim, in the name of Jehovah, the babies that are Brought, the young, the young children who are brought for sacrifices, the women and men who have been abused on this mountain that you called worship—you had no idea. Worshiping in ignorance, even though it was in the name of Jehovah, you did not know what you were doing. God heard the cry of every child. Every And he says what the Father is looking for. And this is the goal of the Pentecostal church. To worship the Father in the truth and the understanding of the revealed word of God. But combined with a responsiveness to the moving and the action and the calling of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And it says these are the kinds of people the Father is looking for. To worship him. And he has to look often we get caught up either in we want to be all spiritual with no truth, or we want to be all steeped in truth. But not responsive to the spirit. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We need an hour there, don't we? The woman said to him, I love this woman, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Can you hear the development of this woman's understanding of who she is talking to? Because he starts out saying, if you just knew who I am. And she says, are you greater than Jacob? I perceive you're a prophet. But now she is getting a hint. She is the first one that we see to start to make this quickly, this connection. I know that Messiah is coming. And then Jesus, for the first time in his ministry, not to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, the ruler of the Jews, but to this Samaritan five times rejected, sinful woman, he gives the revelation that the Jewish people had been waiting on since the Garden of Eden. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am. are learning now, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? They had learned to keep their mouths shut when the Lord is working. Sometimes we need to learn that same thing, don't we? But the woman left her water pot. At this revelation, I am. At this revelation, she left her water pot, went into the city and said to the men because the women would not have listened to her she was on the outside she is the woman that an respectable woman will not be seen talking to but the men knew her and they knew her background they knew who she was and she said to the men come see a man who told me all the things all the things he saw inside of me he saw that I was the one. We started where he was thirsty and he was asking me for a drink and we ended where I was thirsty, asking him for a drink. He saw the, the deep inner need of my life. He told me all the things that I have done. Could it be the Christ? And at this point, they went out of the city and were coming And we get a conversation with the disciples and we get a revival. At the end it says that the people of the city said, now we believe not because of the testimony of the woman. The woman is why they went. We believe because we have heard him ourselves. And there is a revival of belief. The first real revival on a large scale that we find in Jesus' ministry is not in Judea. It is in Samaria, and we see it again in the book of Acts, when we see as they move out of Jerusalem into Samaria, Samaria is ripe for revival, perhaps because of the people of this town, who had already been saying, we believe that the Messiah has come, and he is here in the person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen. Now there are some principles
1: for us to see here as we wrap up this,
0: this section of run into people who are very different from us. And Jesus was not afraid of those differences. But he spoke to this woman in a way that let her know that they were able to converse freely and openly. There was something about him, a Jewish rabbi, that gave her the confidence to speak the questions of her heart. And oh, that we would be the kind of people that when those who are thirsty see us, they would find in us someone who gives them the freedom to dig down to the deep questions so that revelation. Well, sometimes we are Jesus, reaching out and witnessing. Sometimes we're the disciples just trying to figure out what's going on. But all of us have been the woman. All of us have looked to things outside to try to fill that emptiness within us. All of us have known what it is to be. all of us must learn what it is to be able to draw from the well that is within us. Jesus expands on this teaching in John chapter 7 when it says if any of you thirst let him come unto me and drink and he that drinks will find in himself a well of everlasting water. Some we serve the Lord, we get weary from the journey, don't we? And what we must realize is that the well of water is not somewhere outside. There's no place we can go. There's no book we can read. There's no no pilgrimage we can make. If we know the Lord, there is And Jesus, or John said of Jesus in 7, he said, This spake he of the Holy Spirit. Oh, how we need the Holy Spirit. When we are dry and thirsty and find that we are unsatisfied with life, what we need is to get a drink. And if you know the Lord, you have access. But sometimes we still need to say, give me this water that I thirst not. And when we do, if there's anything that is a barrier between us and the water, he'll let us know. Mm-hmm. And when he puts his finger on that, we repent, we turn away from whatever may be And then we drink. There's an old song written by a Methodist layperson that is about as Pentecostal as you can get. And I think it's a good one for us to end with here. Because it's a cry that many of us have cried many times. And many times we have found that the well has not run Fill my cup, Lord, I lift it up, Lord, come and quench this thirsting of my soul. I come, fill it up, and make me whole. (coughs) How many of us could say that's our prayer tonight? So Lord, you see us living in a dry and thirsty land, who sometimes are dry and thirsty. Sometimes it's because there's been a barrier between us. Sometimes it's because we're weary from the journey. Sometimes it's because we just haven't stopped to take the time to drink of your spirit. So in this (coughs) moment, Lord, we cry out, give me this water. Give me this water that I thirst not. Lord, we thank you. In these last moments, let's just let the Lord Sir, Brother Jim, we keep coming to the river. Amen. Amen. What a great chapter. What a great example from the Lord. Don't you love the depths of the word of God? Mm. Oh, he is able to keep us, is he not? Amen. Now to him who is able. To keep you from falling and present you unstained at his glorious throne. To Jesus our Savior be glory and majesty, power and honor to Jesus alone. Amen. Amen.